Hey friends, wanted to let you know about a new feature we have for you on the podcast. You can now leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the show notes for this episode. We want this podcast to help you. If you have a question about making disciples in the harvest or a topic you'd like our team to cover on the show, click the link in the show notes or visit us at speakpipe.com slash into the harvest. When you leave us your voice message, take 15 seconds to introduce who and where you are, and then maybe 30 seconds or so to ask your question. We will get these messages and we'll feature you and your question on the show. It'll be a fun way to connect as a community and it will make the podcast more of a two-way conversation. So hit us up and leave us your question. Welcome into The Harvest, where our mission is to give you the clarity and confidence you need to live and share your faith in the everyday places of life. I'm Andrew Stroud, and on today's show, I'm joined by Sean Cannell, CEO of Think Media and author of the book, YouTube Secrets. Over the past year or so, Sean and his team have been helping us learn the ropes when it comes to using video and social media to spread the message of Jesus. In this conversation, Sean talks about his journey of faith and what he's learned over the years about trusting God becoming an overcomer, and stepping out in faith. He also shares about why the church needs to innovate and move with culture by leveraging technology to connect people and share the message of Jesus. There are some major truth bombs in this conversation, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. As always, we'd love to get your thoughts on today's show, and you can be part of the conversation by heading over to our Facebook page and joining the comments for this episode. All right. Well, I'm joined today with uh, by Sean Cannell. He is the CEO of Think Media, and uh, we've been learning quite a bit from Sean and his team because one of our big passions is to leverage technology to spread the message and the mission of Jesus. And we've uh, benefited quite a bit from Sean's advice, whether that's over YouTube videos or in person. Had a chance to see you last month in in Las Vegas at Grow with Video Live. So, Sean, thanks for making time and being with us here at Into the Harvest. Andrew, fired up to be with you and your community for our talk today. Yeah, you know, our I'm trying to remember when I first came across your content. Uh, about two years ago, we started Into the Harvest, and we knew from the beginning that one of our goals was to, to use podcasts, to use short videos, to be on social media, really to broadcast what we were already doing in our local areas and to provide a, a chance for a community of like-minded uh, people to to be connected, even if they weren't in the same area. And I think we were doing some research around uh, the best laptop for video editing or the best camera <laughs> that was affordable because we're a nonprofit. And uh, we came across uh, one of your videos, which was pretty helpful. And and then as I got more and more exposed to what you're doing, I uh, discovered that you're a believer, that you have a faith in the Lord, and that's really shaped your life and even the work that you're doing now. So I would love for you to share with our audience some of, some of the early influences. Take us all the way back to the beginning. What was it that shaped you in your early years and pointed you towards the Lord? Yeah, that's... Um... That has been the major, of course, shaping influence in my life. And I think anybody that's following Jesus and that's had a powerful encounter uh, with him, the Holy Spirit, would say the same. And so for me, um, I was raised with in a good home, but um, kind of a broken home. My parents got divorced at three and we went through a couple rough years 
my mom is a single mom. And then, um, my mom married my now stepdad, Phil, amazing guy, incredible leader, and he's grown a lot, but we went through some rough times early on where they were growing. And so it wasn't a, a lot of, you know, peace at home. And, and I wouldn't want to over-exaggerate that definitely to, you know, great parents taught me work ethic. And, um, there was a lot of consistency in our home. Uh, but it, it, it was kind of, you know, r- roughly, you know, some level of a rough childhood kind of growing up middle-class in America, which sort of led me to rebel throughout high school. And, and while we were in church, I, I guess that you weren't really seeing, everybody's got problems, but you weren't really seeing the Christian faith lived out. Um, my mom was always a woman of prayer and, and trying to kind of keep us grounded in the Bible. There's just some rough years. So, so I definitely T- turned away from the Lord in high school, got pretty crazy, started to get like heavy into par- partying. And I actually got expelled from Christian high school and <laughs> right, right between my junior and senior year. And so I finished out at community college, um, was just doing a lot of drugs and all kinds of stuff. And eventually it was, it was sort of that prodigal season that definitely depleted my joy. It depleted my, my hope. I didn't really have vision for my future. And, and it was, in between kind of a summer coming out of community college, which was really just finishing high school that, um, I was kind of just depressed. And my mom said, Hey, would you consider going to Bible college? And she, and some of her uh, siblings had gone to this small school in three Hills, Alberta, Canada called Prairie Bible Institute. And this three Hills is about an hour and a half away from Calgary in Alberta, Canada. There's 3000 people in this small town. 2000 are in this school and I actually said, yes, I would love to go to Prairie because to me, it actually was sort of like a monk move. Like I thought, okay, I'm going to be separate. I, I just need to get away from a, a kind of a toxic friend group uh, from, from really not being the influencer in a situation, but being influenced by, by just a, a different relationships. This is a good move. And I'm going to go, you know, separate from the world completely is, is what I thought at least initially. But it was, the, it was the perfect thing for me because I got to study the Bible for myself hmm. cover to cover for the first time. I got to see, you know, all the hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus but were preceded in the Old Testament. So I began to get kind of the structure for the faith that I'd heard about in church but for myself. And while that I was at Bible college for just that one year, I got a certificate in Bible my parents also shifted churches. Now, I'm, I don't want to be polarizing on uh, this call, but we just talked generally <laughs> about different styles of churches. And we had kind of also been a part of seeker-friendly churches, you would call them, right? Which which more power to them. Definitely kind of the Willow Creek inspired. Someone's a negative 10 to a zero towards Jesus and God. And then they're like a zero to a positive 10, or maybe it's six, of, of if they're in the church and giving and living it out and doing everything else. And so, so it was definitely focused on like kind of, you know, alpha and, and sort of those types of conversations. Like, do you even believe that God exists and moving people? And so they had shifted to a charismatic church and that could get controversial, but, but definitely <laughs> like a, a, a charismatic church where like the life of the Holy Spirit was, was really happening, where you saw kind of like the prophetic gifting kind of in true operation. And you start seeing some stuff. This is no joke when people are like truly like accurately reading your mail and, and you start having these kind of encounters with, wow, 
God is, is much more tangible than I realized that the spiritual gifts are still active for today. And also seeing things like radical generosity happening in a church. And this is, this is right around 2002. And so I, um, leaving Bible college, knowing I was going to have a year and I thought I was going to go back. I'll try to consolidate this. We're like, I'm packing up. You took, you said, take it to the beginning. So, <laughs> Do it, man. Uh, and so I, I actually realized that even though I had been built up in my faith a little bit, that I still wasn't really like a leader yet. I still realized how susceptible to, I, that I would not be the influencer in situations. So I wanted to make a decision I, with deep love for my friends and deep love for the people that, you know, I had been connected with. I, I, I didn't want to reject anybody. I didn't want to, to you know, I, I want to be able to mm. show love, but I just knew that if I went and hung out, that I would not be influencing them. They'd be influencing me. So I made a decision and I just sight unseen. They had gone to this new church. I had no idea what was happening there. And I said, I want to intern. I want to commit to a summer internship. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do online classes during the summer. I'm going to wait tables at Red Robin and I'm going to intern at church really to be just so busy that I don't mm. get into trouble. Kind of mm. like what David should have been doing when like King should have been at war. Right. He shouldn't have been on the balcony just chilling. And then he got into some trouble. And so uh, I, I was just like, I, I wanted to just put my hand to the plow and just be involved in things. And so that's when I got involved at this church and I got into an internship. Um, and this, this church didn't have an intern. There was 16 kids, 16. There was like six kids in the youth group at the time, one other intern uh, named Becky. And there was no program, but we just gave our lives hmm. to this, our spare time to this youth ministry. And that's when I met Jeff Morris, who is now planning a church called Rhythm Church in Oceanside, California. We've been connected 16 years or so, one of the big influences in my life. But he was a youth pastor and he actually handed me a video camera and some mini DV tapes and Adobe Premiere and said, hey, start making video announcements for this youth ministry. Now it's 2003. So I start making weekly video announcements. They're terrible too. I like to encourage <laughs> people. I help people learn video. Your first videos, they're going to be your worst videos, right? And I started making these videos. Now this is two years before YouTube even started. But I was doing weekly videos as a volunteer for my youth group. And um, then by 2004, the senior pastor was like, hey, these aren't too bad anymore. What if you do these on Sundays as well? So as a volunteer, I would shoot, I would edit, I'd get people in the church to do the announcements. I'd do the announcements myself. I would try to do creative projects. If I had nobody else, it was all on me. But no matter what, the, the video announcements would play Wednesday night, they'd play Sunday morning. And so I did 104 videos a year, at least, because there's other videos I did also, mm. as a volunteer, and that was me getting the muscles. That was me putting in the repetitions. That was me, you know, fighting the, uh, the, the, the bear, right, and the lion. And so, if you will, Goliath comes later in life, but you're ready for your day mm. of becoming because you've been doing the work. You've been strengthening the skills. And it was actually 2007 that we started the first YouTube channel for um, the church. And so that's now 13, 14 years ago, right? Hmm. And so it was so early. It just gave me this God positioning in video and in media. And we could talk about that later, but probably the one other thing to add about how instrumental um, this season was in my life was there was actually a night when it was called Encounter Friday nights. And it'd be like two speakers, uh, which would be like Jeff and the other youth pastor at the time, David Luster and, and, uh, some extended worship and maybe like a five hour lock-in type of a night. And I'll never forget that, um, I was there and I remember there was an altar call and 
I was one of the interns, right? I was, I was one of the <laughs> leaders. Now the youth ministry is like 30 people. And there was an altar call and I just felt the Holy Spirit so strong saying like, you got to respond and people were being called to the front. And I'm like, respond? Yeah. I'm one of the leaders. Like, what do you mean respond? Wow. Like people are going to be like, dude, this like, it, it, but I just couldn't shake it. And I never really felt just like tangibly. And I went forward and I had this encounter with God that was, was like something you would study in like books from Charles Finney, where he said like, you just got hit with like God's power. He called it waves of liquid love. Like just mm. like I was just kind of being delivered from all these different like uh, thoughts about, and, and one of the uh, pastors there was praying over me. And I obviously had a lot of father wounds as everybody usually does. Mm. And a lot of different things happening. I was just sensing God's love and his forgiveness. And it says in the Old Testament, it said the spirit came on Saul and he became a new man. And obviously he still had tons of issues, but it was like this pivot. There was this turning point where you could never, <clears throat> you know, I was never the same again. I went kind of from being kind of cynical and, and, uh, and kind of mean and kind of cruel. And of course you still deal with things to just being gracious and forgiving. And really God says he'll give you a new heart. And we know that that process of sanctification is a process. And of course it takes time and it happens in community and groups. And, but, but I really believe in, in the power of God and that there are moments that like that, that can happen in our life that shift everything. And for me, that was like, you know, when the disciples walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they didn't know it was him. They said our hearts burned within us. And it was kind of this shift in my faith where now my relationship with the Holy Spirit, my relationship with God was at another level. And so that was kind of thing one. And then I think thing two was then committing to a ministry school there uh, over the years, which was um, starting to give me foundations of like real leadership real discipleship. Mm. We also started having business conferences. It was called Prosperity with a Purpose. And it was actually called Power to Produce. That was another conference in Seattle. Mm. And we started having people. So I started to capture a heart of this deep passion for Jesus, but also this deep passion for the kingdom kingdom work outside of the four walls of the church. And so I we had different speakers that were like on fire Christians, but that were doing big things in business. And maybe finally at that time I was exposed to a message called the seven mountain message. And uh, maybe you've heard of that before. Maybe some of your listeners are familiar. You know, at first it was kind of very charismatic voices like Lance wall. Now was talking about it. Bill bright from, uh, would talked about like the seven sectors of society. But if hmm. you even look at books like next Christians from Gabe Lyons, he, he talks about these seven pillars too. And it was the fact that yes, the church we think, was meant to be in the four walls of the church that 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 we need to get people to church, get them saved, and if they and and they're going to do one of two things: they're either going to be in ministry or they're just going to live some kind of life, give to people in ministry, and that's how the kingdom advances. When in fact, that's not really the biblical model. That mm-hmm. actually, there's the family mountain, there's the media and entertainment mountain, there's the um, uh, science, there is education. There's business Hmm. and that for a lot of church over the, you know, not really the last 10 years, but the previous 30, we weren't emphasizing and encouraging and even building believers to go into those different mountains to impact culture, to realize that just Hmm. because even if you have a mega church, there's another controversial name, but if if you're, you know, like a Joel Osteen, sure, you're reaching 30,000 or 60,000 on weekends or whatever. But it's not just the pastors, it's that we're all cult, you know, the fivefold ministry is meant to equip believers so that we can be pastors in our business, 
businesses so that we could be apostolic and be like doing micro churches by getting believers together or sharing the gospel in business at our jobs, at the PTA meeting, that we as leaders and men can be kingdom leaders inside of our families, um, to our spouses, to our kids. And so the seven mountain message combined with this encounter with Jesus, the education and foundations I was getting in the Bible, the awakening to that it's not just about the four walls of the church, but that we're meant to impact culture. Hmm. The combination of now learning about YouTube in 2007, because the pastor was progressive enough in our small town to be like, hey, this things like Twitter and YouTube are starting. Let's try these. That's super early for church. Like that's unheard right. of. Oh, the yeah. combination of all that was like this crazy mix that set me on the path today to to view mission, to view YouTube not just as an opportunity to build your business or even a church, but as tr- as a true mission field. That social media is a mission field, but then also think that we are called to be like a Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego. That we are in even America is kind of becoming more post-Christian, and that we're seeing kind of you know not necessarily just the assumption that everyone understands church or understands the gospel. And so that we need to be dynamic ministers. Daniel was 10 times wiser than the magicians and the sorcerers and excellent. He had an excellent spirit. And and that's what it takes to rise to the top of these mountains of influence. And so all of those early elements set me on the track today to be as ambitious as I am, as, as passionate about leadership, as passionate about character and integrity, as passionate about all of these things, as well as mastery in the subjects of social media and YouTube. And so it's kind of like this God setup of ingredients to put our business, my brand, everything that we're doing today, that's really the roots and the foundation. I love it, man. And, and hopefully we're going to get a chance to loop back and dive into several different things that you touched on there. And, and you can really see when you, and this is often the case when we look back through the lens of time and we have this faith that it's not just uh, us making our way through life, but that God is, is intimately involved in shaping us and letting us go through certain experiences, certain circumstances, bringing certain people into our lives. But I also know enough of your story to know that even though you can look back now and see how it was all sort of the ingredients were being put together, it did not necessarily come together smoothly for you. There wasn't a a clear, smooth trajectory from point A to where you are today. So tell me a little bit about, I don't know if you would consider them desert years, but, but definitely there were some some struggles that you went through between what you've already described to us and where you are today. So tell us a little bit about that and, and what you've learned. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think definitely part of that season is, is there is, of course, the wandering in the wilderness I think that's interesting. What we know about the wandering in the wilderness too is that the length of that season is sometimes elongated mm-hmm. by us due yep. to our uh, obedience or lack thereof or how we respond. But nevertheless, that even Moses, you have those backside of the mountain years become before you become to the the kind of forefront of your calling. And now in 2019, we actually just had a few things happen this year that I realized our fulfillment of vision or if you will, visions I had back in 2007. And so then you sometimes also see that the gap between the promise and the fulfillment can be decades and then it can include a lot of hard things. And for us, I mm-hmm. think that main really forging season was even in the midst of 
being an intern at this church and then getting into this ministry school called Soma Northwest School of Ministry Arts Northwest. Um, I also, during this time, met my wife, Sonia, and we got married super young because we're church kids, you know, like that's kind of the culture too. Like we wanted to have sex, you know, like, and so, so we got married at like 21. And, uh, and, and so my wife, Sonia and I, uh, were married for two years. Now we're 23 and she went on a mission trip to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. She was an intern with me in the youth ministry. She was going to the school. She was a year behind me. So we're growing up in this culture together, but she goes to the Philippines and she got really sick. And at first we didn't know what happened. She came back. And so she doesn't feel right. She starts throwing up 10 to 15 times a day. And this goes on now for a couple of years. We're going to doctor after doctor. And to paint the picture, I'm volunteering at the church. I'm waiting tables at Red Robin to pay the bills. And she's working multiple jobs. And that's how we're able. She's really, in a way, supporting me in ministry. So she's working at Starbucks. She's waiting tables. And she's nannying for a family. And then she's serving. And then I'm doing the same but I'm not making money at the church. So she's kind of supporting that element of it for me to give that time to be doing those videos and all that stuff. Well, now her health comes under attack and doctor after doctor, we can't find, they don't know what's going on. And not only do they not know what's going on, they're also saying, why don't you just eat a burger? Cause she's losing all this weight. She's throwing up all the time. Why don't you just eat a burger? Why don't you stop being anorexic, stop being bulimic? And so you're feeling condemned. You're feeling like, am I just making this up? You're feeling like what's happening as a husband, I'm confused. I'm worried. And eventually she loses so much weight that she gets down to 82 pounds. Hmm. And they're so worried. They put a feeding tube in her nose because in reaction to that, and then eventually they place a J genome feeding tube in her stomach. So we go home after that's placed. And so we could start getting her weight up. And, um, she, uh, uh, they, they place it. We do the feeding that night. And all of a sudden, like, uh, she starts experiencing all this pain. She doesn't know what's going on. Well, it turns out they placed it wrong. Mm. And now her body cavity is being filled up with the food and that'll kill you quick. Oh, so this goodness. is when my wife almost died in 2009. So we rush her to Everett Washington hospital. I just put her in our Honda civic. We drive down there, they get her stabilized. And then they put her inside of a, um, an ambulance, we rushed to Seattle and I find myself by her side for six days. Mm -hmm. And to add into some of the other things that are happening in this season, we also around 2006, because she's working and I'm, you know, we're making some money, we're, we're investing in real estate. So we bought one home that has a tenant and then there's uh, the ho house we're living in. We're eating top ramen and sharing this home with another family because we're believing in the dream of the equity. Of course, the big short happens. Mm -hmm. So now we're losing our homes the, the tenants lose their job. We can't float all the payments. We're getting crushed with foreclosure and short sale. Hmm. And, and she's not able to work. Uh, and so we're, we can't float any of this. And then on top of that, the church we are a part of that really made so many positive impacts in our life also had some uh, kind of negative, shady things happening behind the scenes with leadership, a few of the extremes, and uh, with some leaders stealing some money. So now the church is wow. falling apart. Wow. And it had been on this massive, it was like, I mean, I'd say it was true revival. Like hmm. we, we saw the youth ministry go from six kids to a hundred in junior high on Tuesday, 200 on Wednesday nights. Um, the, the church is, you know, five, six, seven, 800 in a small, super small town. So like real revival, huge leadership team. And that's all falling apart. So people we had trust, trusted, we're losing our homes, jobs and money. And then my wife's health's under attack. So I find myself in the hospital room by our side for six days. And I'm asking like, God, what, why is all this happening? 
what are we going to do? But it was also a, a time where I was challenged. And I remember those six days where I began to have to, I had a lot of time to think. I wasn't going to work. I was just staying there with my wife. And I was like, I got to man up. I got to step up as a leader. I got to step up as a provider. I need to find a way to rethink of our, our life. Uh, I need to find a way to make money. And I had actually been studying and learning, but it was sort of this kick in the pants and this spark in my soul to go all in on this new school, social media, YouTube, uh, and this new way that there's all these, this is what our company's passion. Part of our mission is to help 10,000 people create a full-time living doing what they love while making a difference with online video and social media. Hmm. And so, because that's what I was able to do. And it was out of that time where I thought a lot of people, they want to live this social media dream and make money online because of the fame and the fortune followers and things like that. And ultimately, I actually don't think that's bad. That's fine if you've got, you know, your soul's healthy and you're coming from a pure place. But that wasn't my motivation. My motivation was for my family, <laughs> was for my faith, was for survival, fighting for our future. And specifically, because I wanted to work from home on my own terms because I didn't know as I wanted to be with my wife. Like if I could work from home, I could take care of her. And I mean, fast forward to today, if we hadn't gone to the hospital, we may not have discovered at least when we did that what she has is gastroparesis. It's a chronic illness. So now she has a gastric stimulator, which is like some people have pacemakers for their heart. She has one for her stomach. And and so, and she's doing amazing. She's our CFO and we're, we're still, we're not out of it. It's something we deal with every day, but yet I just didn't know at the time, how are we going to raise kids? So instead of feeling defeated or giving in to depression, I thought God has, you know, no weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. He has equipped me to be a leader and to reign in life through his spirit and so I could step up. I could find a way. To, maybe we'll have to hire a nanny full time when once we have kids. Maybe what these medical bills, we can find a way to afford these. <laughs> well, let we me can find a way to handle these things. And so that was sort of the season that set me on the trajectory today and took my hustle to a whole nother level. Well, let me just uh, ask you this question because I, I got to believe that people listening right now, so, someone else has to have the same thought, which is you're going through this. Um, difficult time, both um, with with your your wife, with your personal finances, with the church that you've been so invested in. I mean, here you've been serving, um, sacrificing, not being paid, and then you find out that, that there are leaders in the church who, far from that, are actually uh, stealing money. How, how did that not cause you to lose your faith? Or, or, you know, I, I don't know, just tell me a little bit more about how you came through that, not having lost your faith, uh, but still trusting in God and, and actually seeing it as something that he was using to move you to the next step. Yeah, I, I don't want this to come from a standpoint of of sounding uh, like in he, almost like robotic in in like a level of discipline or, or, or faithfulness because I am empathetic. I think at the time... I've learned to get more in touch with my emotions and more in touch with it is okay to grieve. It is okay to be let down. It is it okay to like be encountering major mysteries. But the way I'm going to respond to that question is I actually believe many, if not most believers are not actually building their lives on the rock. 
Mm. Many, if not most believers are building their lives on a pastor, on a leader, on their spouse, Hmm. on circumstance, on, on a million other things. Right. But we're only supposed to build our lives on one thing. And so I think this encounter, the encounter and the, the encounters that I've had, the personal relationship I've had with Jesus is unshakable. And I mean, hmm. I also, pride comes before the fall. We always have to stay humble for our whole life. So I don't want to, I don't want to think that I'm beyond I, I, I'm maybe a few Job experiences away from, you know, hopefully I could still stand strong after it all. I don't know what my future holds, but I'd like to think, no, this is an unshakable faith yeah. because it's a relationship with Jesus, not the church, hmm. not the leaders, but, but Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit. And then I also, again, this is hardcore, many, if not most believers, especially in the modern era, are not that mature. Like right. biblical maturity. They're not, hmm. they don't read their Bibles. Like they're not actually building spiritual roots. And that would be the key. Like roots, because when the storm comes, you need to have roots. Or as Jesus would say, if you're built on the sand, when the storm comes hmm. and the wind blows, if you don't have those teachings in place, you'll get knocked down. Hmm. But if you're built on the rock, and think about this, sand is little pieces of rock. So a lot of people just have a little piece here, a little piece there, a few verses here, a few verses there, which is great. And that's great for when it's sunny and when it's amazing and it's a great day to hang out at the beach. Like you in San Diego, that's every day for you. I'm in the desert, so I guess I have sand too. That's right. But, uh, <laughs> and so uh, these, these little pieces, you got to have a real foundational faith. So to be honest, while my faith was certainly shooken, there was, throughout that season, I just had this, this, this anchored belief where it was like, look, whether we prevail out of this season or even if we fall and fail, either way we win because Paul, like hmm. Paul said, if I get to depart and be with the Lord today, that's better hmm. for me by far. And if I don't, then I'm here for service. I'm here to keep serving my wife. I'm here to keep being encouragement to others. I'm here to keep standing firm in my faith. I'm here to see, you know, our faith gets tested by storms. So I actually get an opportunity to see if my faith is even real. It's one thing to be young and healthy and wealthy and there's no recession and you have your houses and you got a job and everything's going right and no one's betrayed you and, and no mm. one's let you down and nothing's going wrong in your church and nothing's going wrong in your health. Mm. Having faith in that circumstance doesn't take much faith. Mm. So it was a chance for us to actually see, as Peter said, was our faith actually being, it was being tested and could it come out as gold? I don't want it to sound like overly strong as if like we didn't have really dark days and really hard times. But, but the truth is if it wasn't for the work I had been doing, and I hope that's what people would hear. You got to be doing work today for the season. You don't know that's coming tomorrow. And so the Bible study and having an authentic prayer life and relationship with Christ. And then I'll be honest too. Um, I think studying church history and studying just leaders and studying just business. I also wasn't surprised I mean, hmm. shoot, we've been a part of other things since that have had issues. I think it surprises me when people are surprised. <laughs> like, like but Jesus had one, he had someone stealing from him. Right. Like it, you, you got to have at least <laughs> one person on your team at 12 that that's, that's stealing, you know? And so I think that's an, <laughs> that's like a, that's like a leadership thing. Yeah. Meaning we, when it comes to business ministry, church, 
it's like we're surprised if someone falls. Shoot, right. like one of the heroes of the faith, the man after God's own heart, King David himself, person that one of maybe one of my favorite characters in the Bible, just heart after God, and hmm. he was king and priest, so just a worshiper, but also a warrior, all these hmm. things. Homeboy murders <laughs> someone else's, you know, husband right. so that he can hang with Bathsheba <laughs> Who, who he uses and exerts his authority. Like, you want to talk about scandal. Like, right. put that in modern times. Like, even some of the biggest falls we have, like all the falls that are happening in the U.S., I don't know if we know of a pastor who's like, so he assassinated the husband of the church lady, then took her, jacked the family. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. so I think I think that sometimes we are surprised. and It doesn't mean we should be suspi- suspicious, cynical, Guarding your heart against cynicism, that's probably one of the biggest things. Hmm. I could just go hmm. to a retreat of just being cynical, and you could right. go, which is a bad place to go. Right. But, uh, but like, meaning my faith wasn't built on that church or those pastors. It was built on Jesus. Hmm. And as far as those scriptures tell us that he's the one that will provide for our needs according to his grace. The, the pastor wasn't my source. The church wasn't my source. They were a vehicle of God's ministry. And by the way, I was actually part-time on staff, still not really paid super well, but I was part-time on staff by the time that all happened. But even still, so they were a vehicle of supply, but it was, I think it was taking personal Mm. responsibility. And and that's what was happening to me Mm. in the hotel room. I thought, okay, I have an option. I could blame, I could become a victim. I could just say, well, this has sidelined and caused most people to settle. So I don't think anyone would blame me if I did as well. I could just say, oh, you know, I could I could have gone a lot of places, or I could have rose up with Godfidence, confidence in God, strength from God, and and that was one of the challenges. I thought if my wife is getting weaker, I need to get stronger, hmm. as opposed to oh, we're just I, that's what people. I think people settle in their circumstances. They go oh, I can never build a thriving business if I didn't have both both people at full strength. It, you know, I could I could never because I could never hmm. because. But last time I checked. Jesus said, no, all things are possible for him who believes. So we just, we made two commitments in that season. The first commitment, my wife and I, was that we were just going to keep going. Kind of like it says in in, uh, the parable of the shepherd, what? The uh, Psalm 23, you know, though I walk (laughs) through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's not though I camp in the valley of the shadow of death. It's no, I walk through it. Even if you're walking slow, you got to just keep going. And that's what we decided. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep looking for answers. We're going to keep praying for miracles. We're going to keep being patient with what we have to face day after day, but we're not going to stop or settle. We're just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And then number two, we're going to keep learning. We're going to keep looking for ways out of this, ways to make money on our own terms. Well, now I can't, we, we, we can't have a family and that's, we're at peace with that right now. We may adopt and we may still pursue Mm. kids and we may do some other things, but we're at total peace right now with the season of life we're in. But Mm. it's like, no, you still can. Other people have. If one other person on planet earth has built a business, built a church, kept their marriage together, raised kids, adopted kids, if they've been able to overcome, uh, you know, limitations because of health or whatever it is. If one other person on planet earth has done it, you can too. So we just believe we'll get, we're going to keep learning. We're going to keep reading books, keep seeking doctors, keep going to normal doctors and naturopaths. 
So by any means necessary, while there's still breath in our lungs, we just figure we keep looking for solutions, keep guarding our heart because it's the wellspring of life that even though we may be wounded and I've dealt with that and we've gone through like counseling and all kinds, you know, that was hard season and real trauma needs to be dealt with and not just buried. And that was probably a mistake I made was just trying to grit and go through it without processing emotions and things. But nevertheless, it was a commitment to say, we're not going to give up on church. Hmm. There's no perfect church. Like yeah. better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And there's, and so just because one or two churches we've been a part of have, have maybe wounded us and been difficult, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're going to stay in God's house. We're going to stay planted because the verse says those who are planted in God's house will flourish. So we've discovered, and this truth is real in our life. It's not because it's God's faithfulness to us to honor his word, to stay planted in the house. And we believe that bless that he can still get that blessing and that flourishing to our family, despite what this or that leader may be doing. And I think it's a commitment to God and God's word that is higher than anything else, building our life on the rock that has been the anchor to our soul through this entire season. Yeah, it's, that's a great word, man. I, mean, I think the two themes that stood out to me as you were sharing is, you did know what your foundation or who your foundation was. You knew the source and that it would seem that as you went through those difficulties, it pointed you back versus pushing you further away from him. And then I love that idea of uh, continuing to move forward, continuing to learn and to grow and the the insight into Psalm 23 there. I really appreciate that. I haven't heard that before, but it, that's probably going to get stolen. Um, so, yeah, part of moving forward for you was going from Washington State to Nevada, where you're currently living. And initially, you were in full-time ministry, or you ended up in full-time ministry. I don't know exactly how it started, but you moved to Vegas to be involved with a church there in the city. Ended up becoming a campus pastor for a year or two um, before shifting out of that. So maybe just take us through... What led you to go from being in full-time ministry to doing what you're doing now? What was that process? Yeah, so when our church in Washington kind of fell apart, Jeff Morse, still we were working together. Uh, he was now like kind of a, an executive or operational kind of pastor. And I was a, a media communications video part-time staff member. And the church fell apart. We, we left staff but stayed at the church for a season. And we started something called Think International. And people can go to YouTube and you can check that out. And it was actually, so that was a very early church leadership YouTube channel. And that's another, I think, principle of we, when the church fell apart, we didn't have any connections. We didn't have any relationships. Uh, we're in a small town. We're also, we're disillusioned. We don't really know what to do next. And I'm so thankful for his leadership and always being a visionary because he's like, let's just do something. Like hmm. YouTube's out and you're great at video and I, I had this communication and passion for leadership skill and we partnered. And so we actually started an interview show of church leaders and uh, different pastors and, and it grew over 10,000 subscribers. And it was at the time, the largest church leadership YouTube channel um, there was about 2000. 10 and 11 because it was kind of the only, cause it was still so early too. <laughs> and so like the, it's like how you become the largest when you're the only, like you're the number one because there's nobody else even competing. And so, uh, and so that was a powerful thing that we were doing. And then I also started a business in 2009, um, 
uh, called Clear Vision Media doing video production. That's when I met Benji Travis, who's the co-author of YouTube Secrets in our same small town. And he, him and his wife were into YouTube. I was passionate about YouTube because we had Thick International and I had my background in it and it was so early stage and it was just kind of that early energy of, wow, this is going to be something special. And so Benji actually started hiring me to do work. So he became a client and then we shot this wedding series together. It was like a 10 part docu, docu vlogumentary series, uh, series around him and his wife's wedding. Um, hmm. and a project came up in Vegas. So that's why we moved to Vegas is, is, uh, a project came up. He said, can you come film on a Friday and a Saturday for this charity event and a few other like beauty influencers that word didn't even exist yet at the time related to social media. But, uh, so we did it. I said, you know, can I bring my wife? Sure. So we went, I worked Friday and Saturday and then Sunday we visited the church, the church LV pastor, Benny Perez and a pastor from our small town called ahead and said, Hey, Sean's going to be visiting the church. So he actually called me ahead of time and said, Hey, can we go to lunch? I'd like to talk to you. And so we went out to lunch. This is somebody, his roots, he led a revival and a youth movement back in Marysville, that same small town when I was nine, uh, a few years earlier. And then his spouse, Wendy Perez is Wendy Smith, Judah Smith's sister, who was at City Church that was kind of down in Seattle. So our roots and respect hmm. for what he had built and who in that church was crazy. So when he called me, I was like, wow. So we went to lunch and then he said, hey, long story short, we'd like to offer you a position as kind of a social media director of communications. This is 2011. And I said, well, I'd love to, but there's no way my, my wife would ever move to Vegas we know that for a fact. So, so it doesn't even matter. He goes, okay, cool. So then we went back to the hotel room and she felt so strong after praying. She goes, I really feel like we're supposed to do this. And having mm. put boots on the ground in Vegas, she realized it's not just the strip. Like it's not like right. everywhere is exactly. like slot machines. Although it is kind of true, like at every gas station, <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, whatever that it's still just normal communities, normal schools. And so, uh, we moved to Vegas and, so in a way, it was like, I kind of was like in business because I had Clear Vision Media and I was sort of out on my own. Then I went back into ministry and got connected to that house. And my belief is, is again, staying planted, trusting leadership at some level, the elders. So I just wanted to be faithful in that season through that whole season. So I was a director of communications. Then eventually there was a chance to open up the campus in Orange County. It was clear to me too, because I'd raised up a team even before we knew who was going, I was like, it's going to be us because everybody else is involved here and their kids are in this school. But Sony and I were flexible. I, I, I have the leadership capabilities to do this. And sure enough, they're like, yep, you guys are moving. So we moved to Orange County. I was a campus pastor for a year and a half. And to kind of make a long story short, good season, learned a lot, a lot of challenges. At the end of that season, um, Benny Perez asked me, Sean, uh, how you feeling? And I said, well, I kind of feel like Michael Jordan playing baseball. And with him, sports analogies are like prophecies. Like it just, I hit the nail on the head and, and it was very true. And he goes, I, I, I feel that I I've seen that you've, you've done well with what's in your hand, but it's clear that social media, video marketing, uh, new media kind of new school communication is your sweet spot. And then I said, I said, hey, and here's the deal. Uh, what do you want me to do next though? It wasn't mm -hmm. I want, it was what do you and the elders think I should do next? Do you want me to be full-time, part-time, or no time? And and we're going to probably move back to Vegas because cost of living in Irvine is 70% higher than Vegas. So whatever we do next. And he actually came back and said no time. And I was like, shoot, what's that mean? But what that meant was we recognize 
this kind of entrepreneurial grace on your life. We recognize this. And they actually hired me back, which was really cool as a contractor to do social media for a while. And then I started working with other freelance clients. So, you know, it depends. Everyone's, I, I wouldn't say this is like a biblical law or truth, but for me, I felt every, my, my steps were direct, rejected by the Lord. And I was actually leaving it up. I literally left it up to like the elders. I was like, what, hmm. what do you see hmm. next? And then I felt like that's when I was pushed into the business world, the entrepreneur world. And for my journey and, and my, how that's built on the Bible, I believe that it was the right season because everything that was forged in me being in full-time ministry from a leadership, team building, character, good and bad and challenges of everything I learned dynamically positioned me for where we are today to have the character and the fortitude and the leadership skills necessary, not just to be a content creator and like social media influencer, but to be a team builder, to be a visionary, to have, to have built and led teams and motivated people and all those types of things. So that was the transition point, um, kind of at the beginning of 2015. And then it was 2016 that I went all in, um, as a solo, like no longer having clients. We don't do client work right now. We've got hmm. books and courses and live events. We do training, consulting, and coaching, not done for you services. I was a solopreneur freelancer for about a year until that transitioned. And then since then, we've been building our company and our YouTube channels. And so that's kind of been the journey. That's awesome, man. I want to be um, respectful for your time. I don't know how much you, you've got to spend with us here, but I, I see you as someone who is very unique in my uh, experience because you've been on both sides of the coin. So you've, you've been heavily involved in church, um, both as a volunteer and as a, a lead pastor. Um, you've also been heavily involved in business and you, you are a business owner. Um, but you're a person of faith. As you, as you survey the land, if you were to take a step back and just survey the lay of the land right now, as it concerns culture and the church in particular, what's your take on the state of the church right now in, in the U.S. in particular? Are we hitting the mark? Um, where can we improve? Where are you encouraged? Um, I am generally optimistic. I mean, I think it's really easy to look at everything wrong and sure there's a lot of things wrong. I'm also not fully up to date on, I think what can also happen is we make a lot of snap judgments, meaning, um, you know, oh, it's raining. God's in a bad mood. Uh, you know, it's sunny. Oh, there must be a drought. God's judging America. Like it's like every, like whatever trend we see, like, you know, to a, a key families leaving our church, man, every church is shrinking in America. And so mm -hmm. I guess I don't know the most current stats. I think that on, by on mass though, we are seeing the decline of Christian influence and culture. Um, and, and at least church churches seem to be shrinking. We're losing influence with millennials and Gen Z. But then I think it's also, I like that you said America, you know, God is not just American as we right. know. Right. Right. And there's, there's incredible movements and revivals and, and, uh, globally in different countries. And so I think, um, where I think the opportunity is, and I think what, what really, what we need is, is just believers to be taking personal responsibility for their, their part, you know, in a way that's probably kind of my ethos is that at some level I limit my intake of the news. 
I think even with social media, this could be a danger. We, we can spend all of our time looking at what God's even good doing everywhere else, right. what God's doing on this church or for that pastor or for that leader or for that ministry. And we, and we can constantly be consuming the news. And I'm just wondering, what do we need all this information for? Like, unless you have a call to actually be like a, like a Barna type of ministry uh, <laughs> and you're actually doing stats, right. I think that we, we have a little bit of information overload when oh, yeah. what we need is to be clear on our calling, clear on the land that God has given us to work. And we need to put our head down and work our land. That's what it says in Proverbs. It says that he who works his land shall have abundance, but the, they that chase fantasies, you know, will, will be poor and go without. I think business owners, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. church leaders, mm-hmm. like, uh, again, we should be aware of what's happening globally and, and we should be voting intelligently and those types of things. But last time I checked, man, you got enough on your plate just to manage your own family, take care of your own church, pour into your own leaders, like stop looking at what other pastors are doing on Instagram and call your leadership team and have them over to your house and build some people. Um, And so I guess that goes to just kind of the the personal responsibility. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill, old revivalist that said, he was talking about the Beatitudes that Jesus taught. And he said, the reason they're called Beatitudes is because they should be attitudes Hmm. in our lives. And he said, if every professing Christian in America lived out the Beatitudes for one day, the whole country would be saved and we'd have a revival. Like if we actually just lived out personally the lifestyle of Jesus. um, And so that's kind of where I lean is, is, is just extreme ownership and responsibility as individuals to say, what's my land to work? How can then, and we yeah. get into social media, how can I work my social media and serve people? How can I reach people in my city with these modern tools? How can I build leaders locally? And then probably my deep calling, even like, or passion underneath teaching video is leadership. And I believe we're living through a leadership crisis in the US and globally, like real leaders. And that if we saw Mm. leaders arise, kind of like David's mighty men and women um, that are just answering the call of God to live out their faith and live out the Bible, but then live out whatever it is that they've been gifted to do. And whether that's serving in a local church or whether that's writing a blog or whether that's building a great business or just being salt and light as an employee, as an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur in a company, um, whatever, as a worship leader, as a singer with the gift of helps. I mean, across the board, man, when we see individuals take personal responsibility, which is the opposite of culture right now, we see blaming, we see criticism, we see everybody making opinions about everybody else. We see Christians judging Christians. We see different denominations judging other denominations. We are arguing over the non-essentials. When at the end of the day, are we really just actually loving our neighbor and living out the mission and calling that he's given us to do? That's kind of where I lead. And, and, and to some level, I'm not the best person to ask because, uh, again, I, I've been stewardship is what I believe we're put on this earth to, to do, right? To steward. And I just want to live up yeah. to my God-given potential and steward what he gave me. Dude, I got one marriage. Anybody that's married, that's nissling. Dude, that's enough, man. Just trying to like <laughs> keep your marriage healthy. If you got kids, trying to keep them from going crazy. 
I think that, man, we could take a lot, we could unplug a little bit and stop worrying so much about what's happening around us, focus on what we are called to steward to be responsible for. And if we, if we see change there, the way you change the world is by changing your world. And, and, and some, not every church is going to become a mega church. They shouldn't. Right. Some are given five talents. Some are given two, some are given one, but every church that's at 80 could go to 120. And every business that is struggling financially right now can apply biblical principles and can double down on their work ethic and hustle and produce more than enough to bless their employees, to bless their team, to take care of their family, and to, to write big checks to their church. We're on a building campaign right now. We just did a miracle offering. That's one of my passions is being a kingdom businessman and being able to write. We just wrote a check that was frankly, if, if, I w- if you would have told me the check that we just wrote for the miracle offering at our church, that even five years ago, we'd be writing checks like that, that it would have caused me to fall out of my chair. But I, again, the only way that happens is not if I'm worried about everything else that's going around me. It's by where I'm managing what God has given me to steward and work in my land. Hmm. Well, I love that uh, that phrase, extreme ownership that that you use there. And with with our ministry into the harvest, it's really all about ordinary believers living out an extraordinary faith in the everyday places. And uh, that's really what I hear you saying there is that each one of us, God has has placed us here on the earth. He's given us this gift of life. He's already been at work in our lives to bring us and to shape us to where we are today. And we have opportunity to to live faithfully and to to make an impact and to influence the people around us. And you're right, we can we can kind of go in two extremes. I do believe right now we're in a moment in history where we are uh, experiencing information overload. And and the way I see a lot of us the way that we're tempted to react is is either to just give into it and we just become consumers where rather than having that extreme ownership of of where we're at in our corner of the harvest, we can just um, consume and take in, uh, whether it's entertainment or news, but not really be engaged and, and taking ownership of our life and our opportunities. Uh, or we can go to the other extreme. There's there's probably fewer people like this, but it's, it's absolutely uh, a pull, which is to become digital monastics, where we just, we're going to get off of social media, we're, we're not going to pay attention, and we're just going to shrink back into, into our area. And uh, I, I think we're, we're called to navigate the, the time that we find ourselves in, but to do it with wisdom. Well, Sean, I do want to uh, be respectful of your time. I appreciate you taking the, the time to spend with us today. I would love to have you on again and maybe talk some more about how you've integrated your faith into your business practices and also just for the 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 typical church that's out there or even the the typical believer that's out there how can they best leverage the the opportunities that we've been given in 2019 whether it's social media or video or youtube how can we leverage that to to share our faith and the mission of jesus um i know that uh, you are someone that people can already start to learn from um, after listening to this particular podcast. So what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, I appreciate that. And would love to do it, Andrew. Love what you're doing in your heart for the local church and the kingdom. Um, Yeah, I think um, 
I think a couple resources. I wrote a book a few years ago called YouTube for Churches, and that's actually on, um, uh, it's a Kindle book, and that's on Amazon. And I think that YouTube is a very powerful platform. I think social in general, you know, is something churches should be leaning into. The new book is called YouTube Secrets, written definitely more for the individual that would maybe want to learn how to use YouTube for their business. But the insights and the strategies in there um, are, are definitely applicable. So two resources that people could check out. People can connect with me on social media, Sean, S-E-A-N, uh, N, uh, Cannell, C-A, N-N-E-L-L, my website, seancannell.com. I'm Sean Cannell on all the social media platforms. And if anybody has any questions or wants any resources, uh, you can reach out to me. Twitter's great. And uh, I have different videos and all kinds of free videos and trainings. And then my channel, Think Media. And then you mentioned at the beginning, what's the best camera to get started or what's the best budget camera, best video editing laptop. Um, You know, those are one of the things for churches that want to live stream, leaders that want to start creating content, or get at cameras of all different budget levels. Um, think Media. If you just type Think Space Media on YouTube, you could find that. And I do actually have a resource. It's our gear guide, and that's at thinkgearguide.com. So the word thinkgearguide.com. And that actually goes from like if you just accessorize your phone a little bit, because that's the cool thing about the right. era we're living in. Man, sure. you can reach so many people just with your smartphone. But there's our, it really can help if you plug in like a microphone, you get a little lighting going, maybe a little phone tripod. So we cover everything from just a few budget accessories all the way up to where if you want to do some higher end church video production or documentary type work covering what you're doing in the mission field or covering projects you're doing, um, the full spectrum. And so that free resource is at thinkgearguide.com. Awesome, man. I do hope people will will take you up on that and follow you. I know I enjoy following you on Instagram. Um, you always have things and it's not just about technology. Like you said, I can definitely tell that your passion is leadership. Um, and you're always dropping pearls of wisdom, whether it's on uh, Facebook or Instagram. So I hope people check that out. So Sean, we'll do it again. Thanks. Thanks again for being with us. Appreciate you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.